mic is hot and the game is on. You're listening to News for the Nation podcast by Aces Nation, where we talk about nutrition, sports performance, the journey of a student athlete, and more. I'm Claire. I'm Zach. Time Time to to level level up. up. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, Today's topic, we're going to talk about a question here uh, within training and nutrition. The question is, should adolescents age 13 and up be doing the same thing as uh, college students or higher level athletes, uh, even reaching into professional level, which would be 18 plus? So we're Mm -hmm. looking at the question of whether that 13 to 18 range should be doing the same thing as those higher level athletes. What do you say? (laughs) Um, I know we've talked about this a little bit, but generally I would typically always say that younger athletes need to be doing something different than older athletes, mainly because their skill level is probably going to be different. um, And the intent of their practices or what they're doing is probably going to be a little different because of the level that they're at. So from a nutrition perspective, most of the time, yes, they're they're going to be different. We need to be focusing on like the foundation of building sports nutrition knowledge or just nutrition knowledge in general in younger athletes. I I don't remember having any sort of nutrition education in school in classes, um, even in sports. Like it wasn't really talked about, and if it was, it wasn't until maybe like later in high school. So. Younger athletes need to be focusing on the education, the foundation, um, whereas when athletes get older, then we can focus on more of the nuanced stuff of like maybe adding supplements to bridge gaps, um, timing of nutrients and things like that. So I like to relate it to this um, sports nutrition hierarchy that I use and I'm sure a lot of other nutrition and fitness professionals use as well of energy balance being on the bottom, it's kind of similar to like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like you have to focus on the bottom before you can Mm -hmm. go to the top. Um, So it's energy balance. So making sure that the calories that you're taking in is um, matching the calories that you're burning or um, expending. Um, And macronutrients come next. So again, making sure that we have a balance of carbs, fats, and proteins to make up those energy balance needs micronutrients um, on top of that. So most of the time that variety of macronutrients is going to cover a a variety of micronutrients. Um, So those are the three bottom pieces that I think younger athletes need to focus on first before we're looking at, like I said before, nutrient timing or supplements. So um, from a nutrition perspective, that's what I would say. I would probably guess it's similar in a training perspective as well. Yeah, I I would agree with you. Um, And I like that you mentioned foundations, right? Well, those foundations have to be there from a movement perspective in order to advance exercises, right? You have to be able to first have the range of motion in the movement to be able to add an external load, right? So Mm -hmm. it just, where you are on that continuum of I've done the movement well, now I'm adding an external load, right? It just depends on, I guess, the exposure that you've had mm-hmm. um, in your adolescent years. So yeah, you definitely have to have that movement down. I mean, very popular saying in strength conditioning, movement before muscle, mm-hmm. uh, 100%, right? Like you, you need to be able to do that. Um, I think that maybe some of the principles that you use 
to get these results, they should be the same, mm-hmm. but but the method you use should definitely be different. And it's it's always that way for um, training age or, or your experience in a weight room. Those things are, are always varying and, and it should be more appropriate to where you are. But also, I'll, I'll say this too, also bodies are changing, right? In these years, these are the uh, quote unquote formative years mm-hmm. uh, for a lot of these athletes. And so bone lengths are changing. That means everything attached to that bone is changing, right? Mm-hmm. And so now we're starting to have to get used to new length tension relationships with, you know, uh, these bones and muscles, right? And so they may not be functioning as properly um, in a time you're like trying to do some outrageous exercise, right? So, I mean, it's good to stay with those foundations because you might have an athlete struggling with uh, coordination of the movement if you're trying to do something uh, that's advanced beyond where their training age is, or you might have them a little more stiff because things have lengthened out <laughs> without mm-hmm. them really want or, or right. having a say in that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think that it should be a little more age appropriate to build the foundation as you mentioned mm-hmm. before we start going up into things that are more advanced. Yeah. I think that's a good point of, uh, things are changing right? because those years too, from a nutrition perspective, a lot of times that's where we see like, um, not necessarily just athletes, but that age group kind of getting into like dieting or fad diets or kind of falling victim to some of these more trends on social media. So that's, that's why I mentioned like that foundation of energy balance being so important because I don't think I've ever seen the majority of youth athletes like meeting their energy needs because they're, they're maybe eating to when they're hungry or maybe school isn't giving them the opportunities to, eat enough. Like I remember when I was in school, we had like 15 to 20 minutes for lunch, maybe 25. Um, Uh, and like, by the time you get there, you get, maybe if you're buying lunch, by the time you get through the line, like you might have five minutes to eat. And that's not really conducive to like a nice, uh, you know, restful, um, let like not stressful meal. Um, and so there are a lot of different factors that could, prevent them from meeting those energy needs. And then you're putting sports on top of that, that are going to increase those energy needs. Um, I think it's just a really important time to make sure they're eating enough. Mm -hmm. Um, Otherwise we could just like really increase those risks for injury. If we're adding like the um, reduced energy availability with trying to do like these advanced crazy movements that they don't need to be doing to, to necessarily get better. Right. Right. Uh, I, I agree. And, and another thing that makes me think about that, um, just what you were saying was, you know, everything trickles down, right? Like if, if somebody is doing it in professional level or college level, right? Like that information gets out and then it starts to go like down, mm-hmm. down the chain. Right. And then high school people are doing it. Uh, and then probably it goes down to like middle school, right? Where they're trying to do it. And just when you were talking about um, sup- using supplements to fill the gaps when they get older and it's more appropriate and they have mm-hmm. that nutritional foundation. Um, yeah. Everything is, is probably put in their face more so nowadays with social media and um, maybe even as influenced people become their parents mm-hmm. and maybe they get exposure from that stuff at home, yeah. right? Like um, it, it just seems like 
it might have its way of of I need to take protein when mm-hmm. I'm in sixth grade because mm-hmm. I'm trying to go, <laughs> you know, play football at, at uh, yeah. a power five school or something, you know, um, which is not necessarily the case. I had a great strength coach that that I know, Ryan Horn, put out a, a great post about what young kids need. Mm-hmm. As basically they just need to eat a great diet that's like whole holistic foods, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's not any supplementation. Get out in the sun, be active, sleep well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just do some activity. Yeah. And I think when you simplify it like that, people are like, oh, that's too simple. That can't work. <laughs> yeah. But it's easier than I think some people realize to meet the basic needs, meet their mm-hmm. basic needs. And I think a lot of dietitians, um, kind of like your motto in the beginning, our motto is food first, right? We take this food first approach. Not that supplements are are bad and can be utilized, but especially in that younger population, we don't have research in that population. It's very difficult and it's just not super ethical. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't have really any studies or, or even like long-term studies on adolescents of maybe how these supplements are affecting them, um, especially as their hormones are changing and their bodies are changing that they'll probably be affected a little bit differently than adults. So you know, when I see all of these um, 13, 14, 15 year olds drinking like five Celsius's a day or like shotgunning Celsius's, duh, that's not great. Right. And right. and so like we can, and I think there's also this um, misconception of that caffeine equals energy. Right. And so the idea is like, well, I'm tired. So I need to chug a couple of Celsius's and then I'll get to practice and I'll be good to go and I'll have energy. And then they get to practice and they're wired, but they still don't have energy because they don't have that foundational knowledge of what is actually going to provide energy. So it's a combination of, you know, wanting to make sure we're using food as the resource to get what they need and get that fuel for practice. But also we don't really have enough information to say if, what these supplements will do or utilizing these supplements will be safe. Um, not that not that all of them would necessarily cause harm, but we just really don't know. So, yeah. you know, coming from that food first approach and, you know, just holistic approach, like you mentioned, of like really focusing on eating a well-balanced diet, getting outside, getting vitamin D from the sun and just being active outside, not looking at a screen all day, getting good sleep and things like that are going to go much further or going to like get them much further than just buying $500 worth of supplements and hoping for the best. Right. Right. Uh, so we're talking about adolescents here and, and their, um, nutritional needs and, um, training needs. Talk about your time at Florida state. How many of those issues where that foundation wasn't built by athletes did mm-hmm. you see right and then you had to um offer them you know guidance or, or some type of plan in order to increase that base or, or fill in those gaps with food that they could have you know already had settled into their um eating lifestyle at an early age mm-hmm. yeah i mean i don't want to say the majority but there was a lot of just lack of foundational knowledge there were definitely some athletes that had more of an idea of, you know, what carbs are and what fats do for their body and why protein is important. So there were definitely a handful and and a decent amount that had some idea 
Now, for, yeah. for the listeners here, uh-huh. and, and because maybe somebody out there listening doesn't know, give us the quick and dirty on carbs, proteins, and fats. Okay. Most simplistic is carbs equal energy, protein equals building muscle. So building muscle or building DNA, whatever, and fats are protective. So we're making hormones, we're protecting vital organs. That's the simplest way that I can put it. And it's healthy to have all three, ladies and yeah, gentlemen. Yeah, you have to have all three. Have to. Anyway, so go back. To- <laughs> Sorry, I just want to make sure we plug that in there. Yeah, no. Um, but some, like some of those athletes didn't really know that, or there were some, again, misconceptions around what those things did and what they were for. So like a protein builds muscle. Okay, I need to eat all the protein. Fat sometimes gets a bad reputation because of its name. Right. Okay, that's fair. Maybe, maybe not the best name, but... Fats equal fat. That's what they thought. Not all of them again. Um, and then carbs were, yeah, they, they equal energy, but I'll just eat them, you know, maybe around my workouts because that's when I need them. And then otherwise they'll just get stored as fat. So I don't need them. So kind of this like mentality of like general, maybe like general population information from like mm-hmm. a weight management perspective. Right. And it's being taken and put into these elite athletes brain and it's very different for them. Right. Um, so I saw a lot of that. Um, some of it was just like lack of knowledge of anything of like, don't know what carbs, fats, proteins are. Don't even know what macronutrients are. Calories is like, it's on nutrition labels. So like it's a thing, but I don't really know what that means. And if I eat too many, that's a bad thing. Um, so I saw a lot of that. Um, but it was also difficult in in some senses to kind of teach those things at that age because you know they're in college they're on their own and most of the information they've gotten thus far had been from the parents coaches maybe teachers and so it was like all of this like culmination of different information and like that was okay this is what i believe now because all of these people told me so it was kind of hard to one like dismantle all of that and then try and like rebuild from the ground up. It was kind of, it's almost kind of like trying to teach, (laughs) teach an old dog new tricks a little bit, right? Like it takes a lot, it takes a little bit longer because we're kind of replacing existing information with other information versus Mm -hmm. starting fresh and starting with these are, this is the facts. This is what happens. This is what you need to know. Um, And so it made it a little more difficult. It was definitely helpful to have buy-in by like, you know, cultivating relationships with some of those athletes. So making sure that I was showing up to their practices and and just trying to, you know, show them like, I care about you and I, I want it's what's huge. best for you. Yeah. Like that I'm here because of that. And I was also in your shoes. Like mm-hmm. I, like I said before, I didn't really know a whole lot about nutrition. Like my mom kind of tried to teach me a little bit, but at the same time, like she didn't have a formal really any nutrition information. So again, it was just kind of like things that she heard or had kind of learned. Um, so by the time I got to college, I still really had no idea what like sports nutrition right. was and what I needed to know and do for my body to be a good athlete and not get injured. Um, so, yeah. I, I, I agree. I mean, and I, I understand what you're talking about there because because just from a strength conditioning perspective, when we get these, get freshmen or we get uh, transfers that come in uh, that maybe we're at JUCO or, or just spent a year somewhere or a semester, whatever the case may be, 
we get these athletes that come in and these people, they can't even move. They can barely like bend their knees with their heels staying down. I mm-hmm. mean, um, or they just have really unrefined movement patterns. And these people, all, all, I mean, obviously they're very skilled in their sport, but everything else, it's almost like they don't know how to function if it's not <laughs> playing their sport, right? Yeah. I mean, I, you see this with like swimmers a lot. I mean, I've seen this with baseball players a lot because it's so fixed on doing these mm-hmm. one things or being in the water if you're talking about swimmers. But but across every uh, sport, you have these issues where they can't do the basics. They can't squat. They can't lunge. They can't hinge. They mm-hmm. can't really push very well. Uh, pulling is all over the place. And they probably never done a loaded carry in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them rotate because it's their sport or whatever. But um, so that's a hard thing to break, right? Like that's me, like you said, that's me replacing old yeah. patterns with new patterns, right? So that's it's very hard. And, and to dive into that, um, you know, I, at the time when I was a head strength coach for three years, I was the only person doing it. So if I've got a large team in there, I'm trying to, you know, manage everything yeah. and fix all these patterns, but. If you have a, if you have a really great strength coach at your high school, or you've got um, some type of professional guidance that's giving you feedback on how to improve these movements, just so they're structurally sound, I guess, or, mm-hmm. or they're they're good to go to the next level, right? Yeah. You don't necessarily have to be putting on the most weight in these movements, but honestly, you need to be moving well because if you're going to go play at the next level chances are at a high level, you're going to have to deal with an athletic performance coach or strength conditioning or mm-hmm. whatever they're calling it at their university yeah. <laughs> setting at the time, right? So you're going to have that type of influence coming into your life mm-hmm. and it's going to make it that much harder for you to kind of get going Yeah. if, if you're not exposed to that or if you don't have some um, movement literacy, mm-hmm. uh, if you will. Yeah. So, and that's, that's tough. And that's really hard for like strength coaches to one, it's really hard to see that people yeah. aren't moving very well, <laughs> but two, it takes up, it takes up our time and attention. If mm-hmm. you don't, I mean, if there are not a lot of people on staff, we don't have a lot of interns, don't have a lot of GAs, not any assistants or whatever. And that's, that's a tough task to do because if that kid's not moving well and you, you're having everyone else do an external load, that kid's going to want to do an external load because mm-hmm. he's going to want to fit in with the, uh, Team, I, I say he, but he or she. Right. Um, what are you going to say? You can't do it because you're not good at it. Right. I mean, well, when it comes down to you know safety, safety and, mm-hmm. and health and well being of that student athlete, you have to say that, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. you don't. You don't want to. And right. You shouldn't have to put the training wheels on that kid because they should have learned that stuff already. Right. Right. They they should already have good influences on their their movement patterns and. and a good base like mm-hmm. we've been we've been alluding to quite yeah. a bit that's interesting um that you mentioned swimmers with that maybe my situation was different but i swam growing up and i think it was like late middle school early high school i switched um clubs and i swam for a team that was kind of housed in like a racquetball and fitness center so like a gym that also did racquetball and we did dry land like with our coach. So right. it was like core and stuff like that. But then we also had like weight training with a personal trainer at the gym. 
did it for our team. We were a very small team and there were not a lot of us. Yeah. Um, so I think that was great because we were exposed to like proper movement patterns, even just like air squats and push up like body weight movements, but then also adding a little bit of load. I don't think we did a ton of barbell work, but we did work with like dumbbells and stuff like that. So, I mean, even doing that little stuff in like middle school, early high school, then helped me by the time I was like later, like junior, senior in high school and, and doing like more weight training for track. I was much more proficient in movements because I had that exposure early on. Right. by somebody who knew what they were doing. Yeah, it's huge to have professional guidance like that for somebody to show you how it's done and give you the feedback on how you need to correct that with whatever movement is appropriate for you, right? Like our movement signatures are unique, so I would squat differently than you would just mm -hmm. because my body is set up different than yours. Um, and everyone's the same case, but like just to give them feedback on to how to structurally arrange their body so that when they're doing the movement that, it's safe mm -hmm. um, and that it's it's targeting the appropriate areas, I guess you would say at that point. But, right. Uh, yeah, that that's huge to, to have that type of guidance. Um, but a lot of people, um, I mean, I say a lot of people, uh, I'm just throwing this out there, I guess. There are influences out there on uh, different media outlets where things are flashy. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that be a lot of speed ladder drills in the sand or, uh, some super complex choreographed footwork session in some type of turf area or, um, uh, I don't know, kettlebell swinging around your body and stuff like that. Like one it's arm new thing. throwing it around the head. Uh, sorry for our. <laughs> Uh, podcast listeners you can't see me on the video but like taking it across your body and then bringing it up over your head and grabbing it somewhere just moving in different things mm. I, i've seen it claire i've seen it right Yikes. but it's um that gets uh it gets praised it gets lauded right mm -hmm. not the everyday simple strength type of stuff which is safer for like kids mm -hmm. to do or adolescents the, the age group that we're talking about in particular today um, that, that gets pushed behind all the other stuff because that's what's seen out there. And that's, that's unfortunate because that stuff's not going to help you. Honestly, if you're not ready for it, if you're not ready for the simple strength type of stuff, you're definitely not ready for that other no. stuff. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's just a recipe for injury. Yeah. And, and we shouldn't go into speed ladder talk. That'll be just a, that's another day's a, that's conversation. A, that's a rabbit we're not chasing today. <laughs> uh, but I wanted to bring this, um, interesting article. Um, it, it was like a series of articles. I think it was at least three mm -hmm. um, that had to do with the same topic. Uh, the one I'm going to talk about is prevalence and correlates of resistance training skill competence in adolescence. It was by Jordan Smith et al. It was done in Australia, just so you have that background. So basically what they did here is they, they analyzed and evaluated the resistance training skill set or competency of um, adolescents. Mm -hmm. So like 12 and a half to like 14 and a half um, was, was a pretty good okay. range. I, let's say 12 and a half to 14, just so I'm like a little bit closer in case I'm off by mm -hmm. the uh, plus or minus but numbers. But it's pretty small or, Right, right, right. It's a, it's a pretty unique group there. So they had male and female, boys and girls, I guess you would call them their adolescents there. But 
across 16 different schools. So what they did is they um, formulated these standard operating procedures and they went to do an onboarding process with the teachers that were going to be there um, administering everything because the what do they call those investigators, the primary investigators? <laughs> um, those people. Yeah, those people. Um, they were going to be only coming in during testing, mm -hmm. those evaluation okay. periods, right? At the beginning and then, of course, at the end. Um, so they used an app-based approach. So um, it was like a health initiative. Uh, honestly, if you go and read any of these articles that are related to it, they had so many acronyms for stuff that they did. It was <laughs> nuts. I mean, like, I was honestly impressed with some of the acronyms they came up and how they fit things together. Yeah. But uh, so full of questionnaires, they were tracking data, uh, doing fitness assessments, doing like movement tests, things like that. Mm. Um, and, and what they found overall after this 10-week period as when they got it because it fit with the school semester was that more, basically more exposure was needed from the guided professionals, right? Like, mm -hmm. or, or some type of guidance and the exposure to resistance training. So if they were there, they had it, they, they obviously increased their movement competency, which was tracked and, and evaluated as they went through the process. Uh, some differences between male and female, I mean, those are kind of like outside the topic. We don't need to necessarily talk about that, but there were. Um, but mm -hmm. overall, everyone increased their competency. But they found that these this age group was either had very low exposure, therefore low competency, or these people or these uh, kids were right on the cusp of having competency. Mm -hmm. So it should be said that if we can give more exposure to athletes in movements, not, not that it has to be like super loaded or anything like that, just for competency sake and just for movement quality and the ability to go do something or to have a solid foundation to build off of, um, it's out there if you bring it from guided professionals, mm -hmm. right? And the whole time I'm reading this uh, study, Claire, <laughs> it, it reminds me, it reminded me of what we do, right? And basically what we work through, which is the Connect app by ACES Nation, where we're providing that guidance. Mm -hmm. um, well, specifically me from a resistance training <laughs> yes. um, perspective. I'm in a couple of videos. Right, right. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. So we're providing that guidance through uh, video analysis, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we also offer our one-to-one -one services where we would be giving that feedback specific to the unique movements of an individual who would be working with us. Right. Um, and also in the study, they had um, nutritional questionnaires mm -hmm. about sugary food, uh, sugary drinks and junk foods, excuse me. And so that also brought me to um, the fact that we deliver nutritional information mm -hmm. by you yep. um, through the app as well. On an individual basis, which would be an actual plan, or right. from a general standpoint across a team that might be partnered with us. So uh, it was just kind of awesome to see that this type of uh, delivery works, mm -hmm. number one, and number two is beneficial, right? So yeah. we deliver through the app. Uh, we've got you know professionals working behind it to, to make it the best experience that it can be, mm -hmm. right? Um, at an affordable price. What more could you want? Um, Honestly, <laughs> honestly, probably beating any competitor out there because 
we are just trying to give this away almost, you know what I'm saying? Um, so I think the, the video, I mean, obviously in person is great, but I think digitally is, I mean, it's the thing of now, right? It's the thing of the present ever since kind of things became more social media based and tech based. It's nice to have that video there because even if you don't have a person like, you know, putting you in the position and sometimes that even is like, some people weird, don't like it. But sometimes it's hard because like you can't see it. And I know that for like some, I'll just use like CrossFit movements, for example. So like some movements of like a bar muscle up or even like uh even like a, a dumbbell snatch. Like there were times when I was like learning some of these movements that I was just like spatially, it didn't make sense. Like my brain understood what I needed to do, but my body was just like, I don't compute what's happening. <laughs> like I just cannot. Yeah, right. So I think even like having that video to compare maybe what they're doing, if they like, let's say they video themselves doing it and then they go back to your video and they're like, that looks nothing alike. What, what is he doing that I'm not doing? And they can, you know, kind of slow it down, speed it up or, you know, pause it at a certain place and see, okay, he's, uh, he's all the way extended with his, you know, shoulders shrugged and I'm just hunched over and it looks completely <laughs> different. Right, right, right. So I mean, that's a helpful to, to maybe even if you don't have somebody there with these, you know, coaching cues, you can use that video as kind of like those coaching cues. Right. I think we both agree. Like it's top notch or it's like what you really want to have a professional there with you in person mm -hmm. to do it. But that's not always the case no. for people, maybe financially, um, to have someone there. Or, or maybe if they have the money to, that person is not able to make it or whatever the situation be. Yeah. There are circumstances where you wouldn't be able to have that in-house person. So I think it's mm -hmm. great that you know, we're at a point where you know, uh, young athletes can have this type of information mm -hmm. through an app and they still get professional guidance. But right. Uh, they don't have to worry about spending the money, yeah, spending a hundred dollars an hour, uh, for <laughs> to get trained yeah. by you know whoever the personal it's trainer is expensive. They have. But then, yeah. and you also mentioned like accessibility, like even if somebody is training a team in person, like you and I have both been in the situation where we're responsible for hundreds of at 500 plus oh, yeah. athletes, oh, yeah. just us, um, maybe not 500, but you know, a lot. Um, yep. and that's hard. You can't reach every single one of those kids. You just can't, nope. um, you don't have the time and capacity to do that. And if you have like, even if you have like 30 of them in the weight room at the same time, you can't be watching every single one of their lifts or every single thing that they're doing and correcting everything. Cause I'm sure n none of them are doing everything perfectly correct. Right. right. It's just not feasible. So being able to, um, provide this, like you said, as an alternative, because even if you have a person there on the ground, boots on the ground, sometimes that's not ideal either, just because of the situation. Right. It's, it's stressful to be managing large yeah. teams at once, right? You have yeah. to be on top of it the entire time. Mm -hmm. So um, that's good stuff. Uh, did you have any anything else you wanted to share with us about um, nutrition for adolescents for that group? I think just to sum it up, I mean, from a literature perspective, most of, of what is available from an adolescent age group is 
again, to just focus on the basics of like, number one is meeting energy needs. Like I think that is so, not that it's under underrated or, or under expressed by our profession. I think it's just undervalued by maybe kids or parents or whatever. And I think there's just not an awareness of how much right. these kids need to be eating. Um, so meeting energy needs, um, and just really keeping it simple of keeping their diet to as, as much a variety as possible, exposing them to different foods, different protein sources, whole grains, um, you know, dairy, fruits, vegetables. So like any variety of whole foods that we can expose these kids to, to get their macro and micronutrient needs met and avoid supplementation as much as possible is going to get them, you know, where they need to be. Obviously, you know, we can mix in some like convenience foods or processed foods here and there because their energy needs are so high that can help fill some gaps. And so they're not feeling so full all the time. Um, but they should be mixed in, you know, with those whole foods too. Yeah. Um, I guess my summary would be squat, <laughs> lunge, hinge, push, pull, rotate, carry. Okay. Those seven foundational movements, mm-hmm. you should, like people should be doing that regardless mm-hmm. if you're an adolescent, you should be doing that uh, in your training. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't have to be every single day, do all seven, but fit them in throughout your your training uh, week. Mm-hmm. Um and do them correctly. Right, right. Do them correctly. <laughs> do them well. In, in the way that I'm about to say. First, you need to move well. Mm-hmm. Then you move well often. And then you move well with an external load. Mm-hmm. So in, in that order, move well, move well often, move well with an external load. So those things are important to uh, keep in mind as well. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, all right. This is fun. Oh, this, is our, this is our, um, <laughs> our final segment here, okay? Uh, we're going to introduce a new segment. Dun, uh, dun, dun. Yeah, this is called nutritional clarity because it's with Claire. <laughs> so basically, what's going to happen here is I'm going to read off uh, a few statements, and Claire is going to tell us her thoughts on them. Is it okay. uh, a yes, like it's true? No, that is not true, or a it depends. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> so Claire's going to give us all the clarity here on nutrition on these topics, okay? Number one, coconut water is better for rehydration than water. Coconut water specifically. Specifically. No. Go on. (laughs) (laughs) Elaborate. Yeah. Uh, No. So coconut water does have some electrolytes in it. So the electrolytes would be sodium, chloride, magnesium, potassium, calcium. And we need those uh, to rehydrate after exercise. We, we need them in general, but we lose those electrolytes through sweat. However, the majority of what we lose through sweat is sodium and chloride. Coconut water is very low in sodium. It has like, I don't even, maybe like 30 milligrams. I honestly don't know, but I, I do know it's very low in sodium. So in terms of like rehydrating, mm-hmm. You need that sodium. So you can just drink water. You could drink the coconut water, but it wouldn't necessarily be better than water for hydrating unless it was high in sodium. Maybe you can add a salt packet in there. (laughs) Okay. Second one. Magnesium supplementation increases testosterone levels. Yes. From the research I've seen and that's out there, there is evidence to suggest that magnesium can increase testosterone levels in males. Um, I don't, 
I haven't seen anything in females. Um, I know a lot of research isn't particularly done on females, and they were probably trying to to see if it did in males. Um, but yes, um, so far the evidence shows that it does. Do you have a milligram count for these people? Um, I think from what I've seen, if I remember correctly, it's somewhere between 400 and 450 milligrams. But the majority of athletes are not getting enough magnesium in their diet in the first place. So I typically suggest to older athletes, if we are looking at supplementation, that magnesium is a good supplement to take because it helps with um, muscle function. It helps with protein synthesis. It helps with um, all sorts of things that are obviously important. Um, and so if you're looking to increase testosterone levels, that's the the dosage. And I believe that's also the dosage for other athletes as well in the form of glycinate or biglycinate, I believe. Awesome. Next one. <laughs> Seed oils oh, are God. toxic. <laughs> Depends. All um, right. All right. So this is one where I know I've said this before in our, and uh, maybe some of our webinars, um, the dose makes the poison. Nice. So basically, you know, if we're, if we're looking at an ingredient in isolation in, uh, you know, if we're having it in moderation or we're, you know, we're including it every so often in our diet, it's not going to be toxic. To you. Like you're not going to reach toxic levels in your body. If you're having seed oils all day, every day, yeah, it could probably become very toxic and bad for bad for your body. But same thing with any vitamin. There, Most vitamins have toxicity levels, mm -hmm. but we think of those things as good for us, right? They have vital functions and roles in our bodies. So just because at a certain extent it's toxic, we don't say vitamin A is toxic for you. Vitamin D is toxic. <laughs> Everything is toxic. Right. So it depends on how much and it depends on the frequency of, of the intake. Um, you're, you're right. In I general, believe water no. can kill you. Yeah, can. Okay, last one here. Last one. Drinking coffee before a nap will help you feel more rested. In general, I would say no. However, um, when when... I'm going to ask for a little bit, maybe more clarification on this question. So are you saying drinking coffee before a nap will help you feel more rested when you wake up or the next day? Oh, that's a tough question. Maybe it's a, it depends, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it is. It depends. I would say that drinking coffee before a nap upon waking up, uh, you probably aren't going to feel very rested. If you're taking, if you're drinking coffee before a nap, early in the afternoon, let's say, um, you go to practice, uh, an hour or two hours later. And then when you get home, you eat your dinner, you go to sleep. And the next day you wake up, I would say you might, you might feel pretty well rested. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Claire. You're welcome. Thanks for that clarity. <laughs> Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of News for the Nation podcast by Aces Nation. Uh, we'll see you on the next one. Be sure to check us out at acesnation.org. Uh, find us on social media, TikTok, and Instagram for sure. Um, and we will see you in the next episode. Thank you.